Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss how APT27 kept government targets under their thumb drive. Next up, ransomware leaves government contractor amazed and confused. And finally, a game of two truths and a lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 50, recorded on June 8th, 2020. I'm your co-host, Kelsey LaBelle, with me co-host, Chad Anderson, and last but not least, Tarek Sala. Before we begin what is usually a time of puns and jokes, we'd like to discuss something which is grave and paramount. Right now, hundreds of thousands of people march in the street for justice, equity, and to be treated at the very least like they matter. It is my distinct honor to welcome Aaron Brownmore of Domain Tools to share his thoughts on what's happening around the world and a message of hope. Thank you for having me on here, Kelsey. I appreciate the time to voice my opinion and really um, be able to put some words of wisdom from my perspective during this very unique time that we're going through as a collective, not just as a, a nation or individual states, but even we're seeing this these protests and so much more expand globally and for everybody, not only just as individual countries, but as a human race coming together. Uh, I think that the most beautiful part of this whole thing is the unity within people. Um, no matter though, there's an immense amount of tragedy from the situation and immense amount of tragedy that's happened in the past. And it's one thing that we just have to come to our conclusion on of what we've dealt with and the facts around that and really form leadership based off of that. But I don't think that the best leadership is based off of just technical knowledge and facts. Truly the best leaders that we've ever seen are very experienced in emotional intelligence. And that's one thing we've all been facing with individually um, on the weight that this has been putting on us, the, the intensity of what we're learning about history and what's been happening in, from personally or even to our friends or the people that we didn't even, we don't even know. That's the biggest takeaway from this situation for me that it allows every single person, not just as the leaders on top of all of this, but leaders within that, leaders on social media, leaders within organizations and companies, or even more so the most important leader is yourself and how you lead your own spirit and your mind. And having a focus on emotional intelligence as a leader has never been more important. The different factors going on here there is so much complexity. There's so many different perspectives and sides. There's also gruesome physical violence woven within all of that. And I believe that this is a moment for everyone as a collective, as a human race to grow, just as professionals, when we look at our own lives, intense moments and tragedies and struggles, it can really breed some of the best moments of striving for bettering ourselves and bettering our friends and family, brothers and sisters around us. And I don't look at this situation any different than the tragedies that I faced in my past. And I feel as everybody, every single human can learn from this, not only the history that a lot of people have been learning due to this, but also the awareness of our own emotions, the emotions of other people, and becoming more informed and intelligent about that. And I'm very thankful that we're seeing so many people speak up, so many people learn more 
and really focus on bettering the communities that they're in and bettering themselves. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're in it for as a human race is just improving on a day-to-day and year-to-year continuous growth. And I think that this situation offers that exact same type of thing. So thank you very much for this. We're going to hold a moment of silence on our podcast for George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Jamar Clark, Philando Castile, Ahmaud Arbery, Botham Jean, Eric Gardner, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Izell Ford, Tamir Rice, and all those victimized and traumatized by systemic and institutional racism. Thank you, everybody, for taking a moment here with us. I'd like to welcome Tarek and Chad. How are you two doing today? Hey, Kelsey. Doing good. Hey, doing good. Of course, all of us folks here recording this podcast understand that for some people right now, listening to trivial puns and jokes may not fit where they're at emotionally or may not be what they need now. Please make whatever choice is best for you. With that, we're going to do our best to bring some joy to folks who need it now. And we're also going to celebrate the accomplishment of the folks who have been working on this podcast here, um, as this is episode number 50. Um, So we've been doing this for over a year. Um, This started back in, I believe it was... February of 2019. Uh, And so I just wanted to take a little bit of time at the beginning of our episode to do something new and appreciate this episode. Uh, This, this group and this work together for the podcast is always the bright spot of my week. And I love having the opportunity to work alongside you, Chad and Tarek, or as I like to call you, Charik. And I thought it might be sort of fun to share what it is like behind the scenes at Breaking Badness. But before we do that, I want to give you both an opportunity to share any favorite moments that you've had or memories with Breaking Badness. Do you have a favorite episode? What comes to mind? You know, uh, for me, I think that one of the coolest things about being a part of uh, Breaking Badness has always been our external guests. Uh, I've absolutely loved everybody that I've had the opportunity to talk to. Uh, get a lot of different perspectives from uh, in the security industry. And there, there's so many out there that we've done. And just each one of them has just been really awesome. So, uh, you know, in light of going to security conferences and, you know, being able to network, it's always been a fun time to uh, be able to do that. So those are always some of my favorite memories of Breaking Badness. Chad and I will try not to take that too personally. Go ahead, Chad. Yeah, well, I mean, I just want to say in in response to that, that my uh, favorite moments on Breaking Badness are just absolutely crushing you both at Two Truths and a Lie. Ouch. That is hurtful. <laughs> you going to take that one personally, Kelsey? You know what? I might deserve that one, frankly. I've, I've been doing horribly. Tarek, I don't know if Sean shared with you what happened last week, though, for episode 49. Did he cue you in or is he waiting for this moment live on air? This moment live on air. <laughs> So Sean was given the option. I gave two truths and a lie last week. He was given the option as to whether or not if he gained any points or lost any points for that to impact your personal scoreboard or for him to have his own special scoreboard. And he picked your scoreboard. So he he wagered there for you. 
What a it good guy. Not, <laughs> it did not go well for you. <laughs> yeah, I tried to get him to bet, you know, all of your previous points in a Jeopardy-like move, you know, to really all or nothing. All it's chips true. in. It's true. He compromised for you. It was a fair negotiation between Sean and Chad there, I think. So <laughs> oh. he tried to do what's best for you, Tarek. You know what? I, as you know, I love it. I like it when my boss has good intentions, even if they go wrong. The good intentions are totally appreciated. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both for sharing. Um, I'll cry after the podcast, but let's take a quick peek behind the curtain here. So it comes to the art of making a podcast. A critical component is, of course, the co-host voices. So in fact, you may not necessarily know this, but vocal warmups are key. They allow you to balance the pressure you're sending to your vocal cords, which makes it easier to talk through your different vocal registers, enabling a wider range of pitches and tones when speaking. Here are a few tried and true vocal warmups from yours truly at Breaking Badness. Causing those are those are pretty professional dare i say um we paid a lot of i think we took a master class before we uh learned the perfect warm-up what do you two think i believe Tark teaches the master class um on the perfect warm-up <laughs> <laughs> my secret is lots and lots of coffee <laughs> that's how i get the old vocal cords warmed up and ready to rock <laughs> all right and of course the podcast is not just those vocal warm-ups a lot more goes into it including extra time honing our craft by sharpening our technical proficiency and if i've learned anything this all starts with an effective sound check yeah let's see how it kind of days but i'm gonna talk like this and uh do a test testing on two three <laughs> It's like one, two, three. Just do something weird with your mouth. Something fun with your mouth. Attempting it. I've got it. <laughs> Sounds a little bit like Edward G. Robinson there. I tried to go. Yeah, see? Sean Connery. <laughs> doing the Grinch, doing Sean Connery. <laughs> uh, testing one, two, three. Tari, can you say uh, testing? Uh, um, yes, according <laughs> to my mathematics. Um. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to do mic check. Can I get a mic check? You can get a mic check. Mic check. Mic check. Mic check. Sweet. Chad, do you mind saying something beautiful? Beautiful. Mm, butterflies. <laughs> oh, no, I think we're we're fairly professional. What do you two think? Did you hear those mic checks? We're ready to go at all days, at all times. I love it. <laughs> we're, we're just so professional. Yeah, that's how I would define uh, the the host of Breaking Badness. In fact, I rarely, as the person that produces this podcast, I rarely, if ever, need to make any edits to any of the podcasts in post-production. So, Oregon Herbers... <laughs> Herber. Herber. Herber, good that trick. Okay. That's the urban Oregon. <laughs> it was Turbo's dance move. There, Herber. <laughs> okay. So, Oregon Herber... <laughs> I'll put your laugh in so people think I'm funny. Ha! 
<laughs> Save that for later. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just use that when I need just it. Just the laugh track. <laughs> ha! <laughs> ha! It's mainly in the plane. Who is that creepy old British lady? <laughs> <laughs> she sounds like a specter or a ghost. I see dead people. <laughs> Emily? Thanks a try so glad I have so many bloopers at disposal. <laughs> Give me the block or else I'll release the bloopers. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Breaking. <laughs> But you know what? More than anything, there's so much joy in this podcast. I could sing all your praises all day. All the guests that have come on, all of you listeners, you mean so much. Of course, the co-hosts, thank you. And now you can hear some singing of sorts, but it is certainly not a lot of praising. Oh, for the longest time. Oh, for the longest. <laughs> oh, that should have been my cue. Everything is different. Everything is different. Do you have. <laughs> take me home tonight. There you go. Do you, you know what's happening? Make a podcast. Let's go. What would you do if I sang out a tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ear and I'll sing you a song. And I'll try not to sing out of key. key. <laughs> For my friends. Chad, I'm a, I'm a little impressed at you hitting that falsetto. Um, that is Chad's voice, if you're wondering. I'm classically trained. I'll, that's another master class um, <laughs> that we'll be teaching. It's actually what uh, inspired, I think, Tarek's work for the masterclass on vocal warm-ups because you did that once and it did not go as well. And Tarek had some good tips for you. <laughs> coffee, my friend. Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this behind-the-scenes look at Breaking Badness. I have a lot of fun making this with you all. And I also like to think we have some really important conversations through this podcast as a platform. So again, I want to thank our guests that have joined us through this journey and will continue to join us um, because really, hopefully all together, we can make InfoSec a safe place for everyone. And with that, let's get into the typical episode format of Breaking Badness. Is everyone ready? Are they, we're certainly, our vocal cords are warmed up at this point. I'm sauced up and ready to go. Let's do this. <laughs> sauced up. all right all right chad this first one goes out to you how apt 27 kept government targets under their thumb drive the newly discovered usb culprit malware is part of the arsenal of an apt known as goblin panda which targets government entities so this is specifically aimed at reaching air gapped devices this usb culprit so that's what we're going to be talking about today so um i'd like to cue the music we don't have to chad's history hour so um it's time for a history lesson and as the sean would say tell us a story chad (laughs) yeah well uh goblin panda uh which i sometimes miss here as goblin panda and wonder for a moment (laughs) what panda meat might taste like uh, oh, is gosh. an APT group that's been I was around. thinking of a panda eating 
very adorably bamboo, but I'm concerned as to where your mind went. Just oh, I mean, well, you know, <laughs> the pandas I, gobbling. Who's gobbling who? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh well, I was thinking of gobbling panda. You know, like <laughs> what's what does it taste like? It's an exotic meat. No, you know? they're so cute. I know, like a panda with a little side of koala. You are not oh, no. qualified. How dare you, sir? <laughs> uh, yeah, so they've been around since about 2013, but really came out uh, hot in about 2014. Uh, they're almost always working uh, in areas of defense and government sectors, um, operating in Chinese interests. A lot of it goes along with the you know the Great Road Project that's going on now, and they they attack mostly. Uh, Southeast Asian countries, but particularly Vietnam. Uh, so they're typical like TTPs or um, Maldocs with training related themes that then drop an executable or sideload some DLL implant. Uh, pretty typical stuff uh, that we see from government threat actors. And due to their attack patterns, um, some experts, particularly in what came out here, say that they're actually two separate entities that are on similar missions in the region, but not always working on the same projects. Uh, so they often make use of commodity malware in the past, like PlugX. And then they also built out this um, new core rat, which started coming out a lot more in 2018. That's a modified version of an older open source um, uh, implant that was popular on Chinese hacker forums. New core rat sounds like the next gym fad, dare I say. It's like strengthen your core and you're a gym rat. You put them together. That's what you, that's what you got right there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Done. We made a product. I'm, I'm quitting. This is it. <laughs> Boom. Sold. <laughs> now we just got to sit here and collect the mailbox mail or mailbox money. You know what I'm saying? Gyms. Super popular right now. <laughs> well, Chad, thanks for catching us up. Always love history hour. I know Tarek will have a chance to do his own history lesson later. Looking forward to that. So, can you catch us up, though, and do a deep dive into USB culprit malware? What exactly is this malware, and how does the APT27 group infect their victims? So, yeah, it's, um, this USB drive, uh, it's well, USB culprit, rather, um, it copies itself to USB drives, and then um, sometimes it can move laterally um, without that. But it requires the executable on the drive to be launched manually, and um, then it gathers a bunch of data, um, looks for tons of different drives for exfiltration. Sometimes it copies itself, depending, which we'll go into a little bit more later. But um, researchers believe that the idea here is to get through to air gap networks, um, but which was kind of surprising to me if that's successful, because I, I haven't worked in many aircraft environments, but the few that I have, um, either like USB ports were soldered closed or not even available or they weren't on the machine. So um, they must have been targeting a pretty specific environment for this. Um, but either way, uh, Kaspersky Telemetry says that USB culprit's been floating around doing this since 2014. So whatever they're doing, they must be pretty successful. Now, I'm particularly curious if if Dyson's security is, is air-gapped as an environment, um, I feel like if anybody's would be, it, it might it might be them. And no one operates in a vacuum, you know. <laughs> that joke sucked. <laughs> All right, enough vacuum humor. <laughs> so what happens once the victim's machines have then been successfully compromised? So it does a bunch of this like bootstrap work, um, you know, as anything usually does, takes an inventory of what's going on. Um, and then it looks to offload any data that it's stolen. Um, it's really simple. There's two text files, um, 
properly named one dot text and two dot text, um, which basically give instructions to the malware. Um, it checks for those and then uh, decides what it's going to do next. And due to these like really simple mechanisms um, and the way it works, researchers were able to infer quite a few things from that analysis. Version control and naming are very important qualities to find. Um, it's true. <laughs> I love the simplicity there. I'm glad that was helpful to Kaspersky. Um, uh, well, I guess I should also say the executable is called Recycle Bin. So, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least they're thoughtful about our environment, you know. Mm -hmm. It's true. <laughs> so it sounds like Kaspersky did some impressive code analysis. So what did they find in regards to the malware itself? Yeah, so the kind of the part that gave way are there's like two different, you know, pathways of how things are working. And um, this is how they were able to determine there's probably two groups. One they deemed, uh, they called it red core, and the other one they deemed blue core. Um, and furthermore, they could also tell because of the lack of network tooling that there was something here that this had to be transferred by USB drive. Um, and because the executable has to be run manually, um, this all leans toward it being run by a human handler. Um, so it's likely this is a mix of like, you know, espionage tooling with some uh, light technical chops. Um, but it looks like someone's got to walk in, plug this thing in, click the button. And depending upon the text files and uh, what instructions are in that one dot text and two dot text depends upon what the malware does. When it comes to USBs, please do not follow Glade's instructions. <laughs> that is my security advice for the day. All right. <laughs> Uh, so it appears that USB culprit, once loaded into the memory and executed, operates in three phases. Can you break these phases down? Yeah, just to go, well, like a little bit further, the data gathering phase where it pulls in all of those documents of importance, you know, looks for doc files, PDF, Excel spreadsheets, um, you name it, anything that would be, uh, you know, high value. Um, then from there, the next phase is deciding whether it's going to transfer that data in to the device or transfer it out of the device. Um, and that's where that one dot text, depending upon um, the instruction in there, uh, it will either transfer to another USB device or transfer onto the machine itself. Um, so, and then the third um, phase is where that two dot text comes in and that's deciding whether or not it's going to infect laterally or look for other um, devices to infect or, or do anything like that. So um, that's kind of the, the way that they instruct it. Awesome. Thank you for breaking down those phases, Chad. And I'd like to return to my horrible vacuum pun. Um, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you, Chad. But I, I do want to return to talking about air-gapped and what that means. What is what is the air-gap effect? So the idea with an air-gap network, um, it's based off of a plumbing idea where you would you know separate uh, two pieces of water to keep them... Um, you know, from contaminating each other based upon, you know, having air in between. But um, typically now for this, it means any computer that's disconnected from any network interfaces. Uh, typically, this is like hopefully SCADA, you know, industrial control systems, certain research systems, um, you know, as a network security measure, uh, you know, hopefully things like nuclear power plants and whatnot are air-gapped. Um, I would guess that they were attempting to go after some defense systems uh, with this attack. Um, and I'm really surprised that whoever's running these defense networks allows for USB drives because typically that's something uh, when setting up an air gap network that you do. I've even seen um, rooms that are entirely separate, um, you know, not just like a computer that's not plugged in, you know, lots of security going in and out. So um, it's kind of surprising that um, this worked.
Yeah, that is interesting to note. And per usual, one of the last questions I like to ask is to to really get a sense of scope from you. So do we know who the victims are at this point and really how concerned we should be about this? Yeah, so they mapped some victims. They're all Southeast Asian countries, uh, Vietnam uh, being the majority, and then some dips into Laos and Thailand. Um, you know, I would say scope is probably just in that region since um, Goblin Panda seems to operate purely in Southeast Asia. So um, that's probably their their theater of work there. Awesome. Thank you, Chad, for answering all those questions there. I really appreciate it. And per usual, we're going to actually just saunter into our hoodie rating here. Quick reminder, it's on a scale of 0 to 10 hoodies, and 10 is stuff's on fire, and 0 is, again, Chad, just being okay with one of my puns, which is a very unlikely scenario. Um, <laughs> so, Tarek, I'm going to start with you. What would you rate this at? You know, I'm always really fascinated by, you know, advanced uh, adversaries being able to bypass really interesting and really difficult uh, networks, um, especially air gap networks. And so that's a good example of what we have here. So, I, you know, I'm going to give this one an eight out of 10, just because of the novel new ways of bypassing measures that, you know, we think are you know relatively bulletproof. Uh, I think this is a good example to show that there's always a way to sneak inside a, a castle through those difficult walls. And yeah, so eight out of 10 for me. Chad, would you agree with Tarek on that? Um, yeah, you know, it, it's the same thing. It's just interesting when something's, um, you know, so pointed and directed, it's kind of like, you know, Stuxnet was very interesting in, in that way. Not that I'm putting this on that same scale, but, uh, I, I do find, yeah, being able to hop into air gap networks and kind of this whole model of, I, I'm thinking here that, you know, someone probably sets up this USB drive for, you know, some handler sets it up for someone and like puts the instructions in one dot text and two dot text and says like, okay, go put it in and double click the thing, you know, and come back to me when the green light stops flashing. Um, so like, I kind of, I just find that interesting, but, uh, unless you're in, you know, Southeast Asia or particularly in Vietnam, this isn't too much to worry about, but, uh, I'd say eight out of 10, just cause it's, it's novel and it's interesting. Awesome. Well, thank you both for your input there. And now it's time for Tarek to stand in the spotlight. This one goes out to you. Ransomware leaves government contractor mazed and confused. So the U.S. is protected by what's known as a nuclear triad, a three-pronged attack force that consists of land-launched nuclear missiles, nuclear missiles on submarines, and aircrafts equipped with nuclear bombs and missiles. So one of the triad's legs, the land-based LGM-30 Minuteman Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, ICBM, has been kicked by hackers who have inflicted maze ransomware on the computer of a government contractor. So, Tarek, I think you know in your heart what's coming here. I do. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Hit us with that history lesson. Where has where maze ransomware come up? before and how much do we really know about this ransomware so far yeah so maze has been around since ballpark you know early 2019 and it uh you know it originally started off as a variant of the cha-cha ransomware um maze is also one of those pieces of ransomware that's being continuously updated and maintained and uh, readily available on cybercrime markets for sale um this is also one of those pieces of ransomware that operates under an affiliate model uh so ransomware as a service 
which we're seeing, you know, become more and more popular. Um, so this and what what a affiliate model is um, for May specifically and a lot of the other ransomware as a service is the ransomware creators and operators get a chunk of the profits for each time a threat actor uh, purchases and uses their ransomware and distributes that and successfully gets victims to pay out. So it's a um, kind of a very lucrative model. Um, we've seen um, Maze and Cha-Cha being uh, seen in the wild attacking private uh, organizations as well as like government institutions um, all over the world. So um, this is Europe, Asia, America, and Australia. Um, I don't think there's been a region of the world that Maze uh, really hasn't been a target for. And I think that really goes back to, you know, the cybercrime market, how Maze is just so readily available. Um, we've also seen, um, according to Palo Alto's research on unit, or Palo Alto Unit 42's research on Maze, we've also seen it being distributed by the uh, Spolivio exploit kit. So that leverages some flash exploits. Um, and so there's uh, that in addition to, you know, mal spam and mal phishing campaigns uh, through email. So those are the two big main ways that we've seen uh, Maze being distributed. Well said, Tarek. And nobody else may remember this, but pre-iPhone, pre-data options that were reasonably-ish price on folks' mobile devices, does anybody else remember the text to Cha-Cha? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Bringing right. it back. Truly. I did that on my T9, man. <laughs> you had to work to ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and just the fact that these were like these were real people. This was not an automated service, to my knowledge. There were people on the other end answering these questions as texts that were coming through. If I'm remembering that right. Yeah, there, that was actually pretty popular. Uh, that and like those, um, you know, used for certain individuals to be able to like uh, message a uh, group or an operator to for if you're like deaf by chance, and they would translate and be the middle person between you and another service. So those are really popular back in the day. Fun oh, fact. Cool. Uh, Cha is from the Mandarin Chinese um, for to search. That was the name of Cha Cha. Oh, interesting. So search, yeah. search, search, search. <laughs> Cha Cha real smooth. I like it. <laughs> well, okay. So now that I've, you know, indulged myself in some nostalgia, thank you both for indulging with me. How does this Maze ransomware work? So Maze is, um, it's, we've seen Maze being associated with uh, some of those initial exploits uh, from an exploit kit. But another way we've seen Maze uh, being um, kind of the initial foothold being uh, done is through uh, the Pulse VPN uh, remote code execution vulnerability. That's also something pretty popular that we've seen associated there. Um, but Maze, like once it grabs a foothold onto a device, what it tries to do is establish itself um, on the victim's network, usually like through a single workstation infection. Um, Maze then does privilege escalation and uh, credential accessing. Um, and then from there, it tries to do lateral movements and begins its encryption routines um, on all mounted drives. So if you are operating under um, you know, like a Windows environment and you have several mounted shares that you have the ability to read and write from, um, you're going to be a very juicy target for, and everything associated on those uh, mounted drives are going to be a very juicy target for the Maze ransomware. One big, one big thing that's different with Maze too is that uh, before it kicks off its encryption routines, uh, Maze has been seen in the wild doing data exfiltration of those said files. 
So we've seen some some more high impact uh, high impact ransomware doing that that new technique of exfil before encryption, um, and so this is still a relatively new technique, but um, it really helps buff up the ransomware operators' coercion into getting a victim to pay the ransom. Um, and Maze is, uh, really has a simple decision tree too. After you've been compromised, you uh, the victims have really kind of two options. Number one, pay to get the decryption key to unlock your files, which is very much like your traditional ransomware. But now with this new technique of ransomware to really strong arm a victim, um, the other fork would be you can pay to not get your sensitive files exposed to the public. Very much depending on the victim and depending on the data that gets um, you know compromised, this could be pretty high impact. Wow, that market for ransomware and many other kits as a service is incredibly concerning. Not to say that this is a kit, but wow, just just another revenue stream there, as you're saying. Um, with the option there not to expose sensitive information to the public. Very disturbing. Um, so do we know how this ransomware infiltrated the government contractor? So Sky News uh, was one of the originals that disclosed uh, that the West Tech International, who is the military contractor in, um, you know, that has been breached in this case, um, uh, they uh, have confirmed that they were compromised. Um, but at this time, there isn't really any uh, data to show how the uh, breach occurred. Um, I'm sure that we'll end up finding that out uh, over the, eventually at some point, but that data really isn't public right now. Uh, but we can assume, based off of the TTPs associated with Maze, is that we can assume this is either some sort of a drive-by attack through like an exploit kit, or that a uh, person at West Tech International fell victim to a malicious payload through an email. So. We have to make some assumptions, um, but uh, the confidence levels are pretty high. It was either one of those ways as the initial infiltration, um, how that occurred. I'm curious then, has has the contractor said anything at this point publicly? The only thing that has been publicly exposed or publicly released by West Tech and distributed through Sky News is that uh, they do know that some of the data has been uh, or some type of data, such as like payroll data and emails, have been affected. So what's interesting about that is that tells us that a the victim, or victims in this case, um, definitely operated probably in the payroll and financial departments uh, for West Tech. Um, so the likelihood that it was a, you know, malicious, uh, you know, email attachment or um, drive-by attack kind of goes up a little bit more. Um, you know, uh, people that kind of operate under those departments generally are more affected uh, by those types of attacks. Another really interesting note from Mandian, one of the Mandian researchers that's kind of involved is that the maze creators and groups, um, you know, obviously we talked a little bit about it earlier, how they're separate, but also at the same time, um, there is some coordination that does happen between these groups, the sellers and the, um, and the operators. So kind of interesting stuff there. Well said, Tarek. And let's end on the famous question. So it appears the attackers have already leaked some files. So what are some possible repercussions for clients of this government contractor? And what happens if this data gets into the wrong hands? How scared are you? <laughs> well, I think we should all be scared, you know, especially as American citizens, you know, like this definitely does involve national security. We're talking about, you know, some ICBM uh, missiles here. So that's that's number one, extremely concerning. Uh, number two, we also have the, you know, this is like really good data for uh, nation states to use as leverage to either create spies um, by blackmailing people, um, 
you know, now that that data has kind of been exposed, we know who works for West Tech and it's payroll data. We know how much money they make and we can generally assume kind of what access they have um, by this data. As say, same with uh, email correspondence too. So there's quite a bit of treasure trove of data here to be used as leverage against, um, you know, uh, West Tech and technically the U.S. government. So I'm extremely concerned by that. Woof. Well, with that, let's hop into those hoodie ratings, and I'm going to bias Chad by echoing that concern. Chad, what do you think about all this? Um, you know, I love this idea that uh, just people making intercontinental ballistic missiles are getting breached with ransomware. Um, so it's, uh yeah, you know, it's definitely a, a nine out of ten for me. Um, you know, there is a lot of leverage in the data that's been leaked so far, and um, you know, who knows what what other uh, you know lateral movements going on in that network. Um, plus, yeah, what else is out there to be sold that we don't know about yet? So I'd say it's it's very concerning. Um, I hope that all the computer systems that uh, are operating the ICBMs, the Minuteman ICBMs are air-gapped um, to go back to, to that beginning. Yeah, those articles went bizarrely well together um, and concerningly well together. We definitely vamped and warmed up into that um, that level of disturbed. And so, Tarek, would you agree with, with Chad's rating there? Yes, uh, definitely. Um, I think that, you know, anytime we're dealing with, uh, I know ransomware is generally associated with kind of like a, a lower threat level. Um, usually people or threat groups that operate with ransomware, we, we kind of associate it with stuff that's kind of lower impact and not necessarily APT. But in this case, we could show that that isn't the case. So I definitely give this one, you know, I give this one a nice nine out of 10. Whew, that's a lot of hoodie material for a very warm time of the year. Um, <laughs> Just adding to everyone's casual stress level as we go here. Let's just see what more 2020 can bring us. Um, well, I want to thank you both for your insights here on these articles. Let's jump to, of course, our game of Two Truths and a Lie, where Chad better show up after all of the trash talk that was happening earlier. Um, so, Tarek, I believe you're up this week. Do you want to hit us with your articles? And just as a quick reminder, there are three article titles that Tarek will share. Two will be true. One will be a lie. And um, Chad and I are going to try to sniff it out. All right, folks, let's do this. So let's start off. Article one, uh, the lemon duck crypto miner spreads through COVID-19 themed emails. Article two, Google faces a $5 billion lawsuit for tracking users in incognito mode. Uh, number three, Delta Airlines has been compromised via cross-site scripting, allowing unauthorized third parties to access username, passwords, and travel itineraries. Hmm. I know one that is for sure true. And it concerns me that Chad is not chiming in. Because that means he is not as confident as he typically is. Is that right, Chad? Melted confidence. It's gone. <laughs> well, hopefully you guys aren't taking this time to Google the uh, question. So <laughs> please Chad, <don't>. just buy us <laughs> some time. 
It does concern me that Chad's um, muted, as I can see here on our platform. So um, let's let's hold ourselves accountable, Chad. <laughs> oh, I yeah. Sorry, you would definitely hear my uh, ridiculous mechanical keyboard. <laughs> that actually goes through the mute. Yeah, Cass, Cass can't uh, can't mask that sound. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll take the plunge here. I am positive that the second article is true. So that leaves me with a 50-50 chance. I'm going to go with the third article as the lie. That's my final guess. Going with Delta, compromise. You got it. All right. Oh. I am also torn between uh, one and three. Um, you know, I am going to I'm going to go with uh, with Delta um, being the lie because, uh, you know, I've flown with Delta and I know that all of their stuff's so broken and hard to like call out to that probably there isn't a single cross-site scripting attack that could get any information because I'm convinced it's all done by actual people on the other end. <laughs> 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 That's how bad their system works. <laughs> Delta hate is real. Man, I love Delta Airlines. <laughs> Alaska for life. <laughs> I want to hey, get paid for that. Shout out to Delta. I'll take some uh, free mileage here. Uh, um, you guys are both right, by the way. Oh, Jeez. yeah. I Delta we're both wrong. No, Woo. Delta was not compromised by cross-site scripting. Not at all. Uh, you know who was compromised and uh, was the basis and the foundation for this article was Amtrak. Amtrak got popped mm. recently. And I was like, hmm, let me just kind of sub out some things and have fun there. And uh, you guys are good. It's a good thing no one uses them. Amtrak or Delta? (laughs) Amtrak. Do you think they could use some training? Oh! Oh, gosh. Sorry, a little off the rails. Okay, okay. Uh. (laughs) Alrighty, well, I think it's very important that we end on the high note of Chad and my victory. I'm going to ride this with Chad um, because otherwise I feel like it will totally backfire if I don't provide you with some positivity after my trash talk to your trash talk the russian doll of trash talk um so chad you lived up to it you get some props you get some points thank you <laughs> i was I, sorry i was just trying to think like the russian doll of uh trash those are called matroshka dolls is that like a matrashka doll is matrashka that- doll <laughs> <laughs> yes you got matrashka <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you all for a great 50th episode and all the episodes that led up to this point. I hope everyone has a chance to take some action on what's happening in the world and also take some time for themselves. Um, Make sure that you're treating yourself well and being kind to yourself mentally, emotionally, etc. But with that, we look forward to seeing you next week on episode 51 of Breaking Badness. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>